Yeah, Lord, it's our declaration that you, you give life, that in you is life, in you is truth. And as we go to your word now, we ask that you instruct us and lead us, give us wisdom, Lord. So, Spirit of God, may every word that is on my mouth and everything that we receive today be of you. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat if you want. I don't think you'd want to stand the whole time. Luke 15, 11 through 32 is where we're going to be. We've made our way to the parable of the prodigal son. Fairly familiar story. In fact, uh, just the phrase prodigal son probably conjures up a, a number of thoughts. There's a network television show. Do we still call them TV shows, by the way, if they're on network television? Anyway, um, called The Prodigal Son. It's a pretty familiar phrase. It actually means to squander money away. Uh, kind of it's in a original context. But we use it for a number of different things, like uh, referencing someone who has run away from home, that sort of thing, only to return. Oh, the prodigal son has returned, that sort of thing. Anyway, we're going to get into the story in Luke 15, because we want Jesus to instruct us as to uh, what this means for us and why he taught this story. And I'm going to look at it in three sections here, so I don't mind if you follow along. We'll also have the words for you before us on the screen and for you at home. And so I'm going to start in verse 11, reading in Jesus' name. Jesus starts in this particular way for a reason. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The story is about two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. We're going to pause there for a second. Because here in our parable about two sons, Jesus begins with a younger kid. And I want to reflect on that a bit. The rebellious one who selfishly wanted to get his share of the inheritance, by the way, before dad has died. <laughs> so what is he really saying? And I don't care whether you're alive or not. All I care about is what you can give me, so to speak. We have to figure this kid was sick and tired of his responsibilities, the rules, the accountability at home, that sort of thing. He thought, you know, the grass will be greener on the, what, other side, right? Things would be better if, if I'm away from this, that sort of thing. And so he goes off to another country, and he does it at the expense of the relationship with the Father. That's what Jesus is showing us. I don't care about you, Dad. Give me my share. I'm out of here. I don't want this anymore. So he goes off and does his thing. But look what happens, because there's some detail here that I think Jesus is pointing out to us for a purpose. We, we see it in, in, well, really throughout the story, but in, in verses 13 and 14. It says he squandered his property in reckless living, and when he spent everything, what does it say happened? 
a famine, what? Arose. Do you know what famine is, by the way? It, it, it means, means that there was no rains and, and, and food was scarce, right? Isn't this interesting that Jesus is pointing something out? This is the way it works. A rebellion damages relationship and, and eventually affects the mind, body, and soul. And that's what sin does every time. And it also f- fails to prepare us for really difficult times. See, what we see in the story is, is we see what the son did to get himself into the trouble, but also there are extenuating circumstances, which, by the way, always come. Why? Because the world slaps us in the face in many different ways. Some we walk into, others, they just happen. Notice he first tries to work it out on his own by working for a farmer in a pig pen. Understand, this was defilement for a young Jewish kid working with pigs because they were unclean. I imagine the religious leaders who are listening to Jesus speak to the people about this probably gasp when they hear what he's about to say about the boy now coming to the lowest of lows. That's where he's come. That's where sin takes us, at least eventually. But, but, but notice he, he first needs to manage his mistakes. First he needs to deal with it on his own. We do this so often. Not ready to go home yet. And, and why might that be for this young man? We assume. Maybe shame? Maybe guilt? Right? Can't face the father yet. He's not going to accept me. All of those things. But eventually, look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, we might say when he came to his senses... He said, many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, he's he's thinking, how am I going to respond? He's not going to accept me, but I'm going to try. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, against God and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Consider his humility. Treat me as one of your hired servants. By the way, this is repentance. This is, this is certainly repentance. This, this is the place we need to get in order to come back to the Father. Not for God's sake. His arms are open wide. He's waiting. In fact, he's looking out for the Son to return home. This story is all about the Son returning in, the, in, in this sense. And yet, and yet, what are we seeing in the details of the story? That it took him getting to this place to return home. To turn back to the Father. To... to to rid his mind of the lies of the evil one that says your, your father is never going to accept you. So don't even bother returning, that sort of thing, before the long explanation, the apologies, the tears. Look what happens. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. That's a key word here. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. My kids don't like when I do that. They're teenagers, but I'm dealing with that. And and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, he just interrupts him. 
Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Again, before the long explanation, the apology, the tears, his father saw him a long ways off. And what did the father do? He he ran to him. What a picture of God's compassion for us. I mean, he's a holy God. He's perfect. He's righteous in all his ways. In fact, God can't be with sin. He's holy. But look at this picture of his love and his grace. What if he was like us? What if he didn't give second chances? That's what, that's what we're seeing in this story. What if he was like me? I'm the kind of dad who's like, uh, this is your last chance. I'm only going to say this one more time, right? Is that our Father in heaven? Not according to Christ. He runs to him. God is a father of compassion for his sons and daughters. Take that in for a second. Psalm 86, 15 and 16. You can look at this one later. But but you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You know what slow to anger means? It means he's patient with us. He's not like us. He's, He's patient. Hear this now. Like, seriously. He's patient with you. He's not like us. It's not always easy to see ourselves as the one who God has to be patient with because we don't always see ourselves as this kid. We we maybe think, possibly, that we identify more with the second older son, and, and we'll get to him shortly. But this story is about two sons and their relationship with the father and how it was first lost or severed, his relationship with his son. When the selfish son took his share of the property and ran off, no less objectifying their relationship to what he could receive from his father rather than the father himself. And I want us to see that we are this son too. We're this daughter too. We do this. God God gives us a blessing in an inheritance, in salvation, and then we go off and we live however we want. We get baptized, and then we say, you know what? I've got the fire insurance, so I'm fine. I'm covered, right? I'm covered. So now I can live whatever way I want. In one way or another, we do this on some level. God, thanks for what you have given me, eternal life. But, but I'd rather do my own thing. I would rather go off and live my own life. Are we capable of that? You better believe it. Jesus is showing us what the love of the Father is really like to us. A Father who is looking out for us. A God who is waiting in anticipation for a wayward child to return home. A father who runs to meet you when you're a long way off. A father who interrupts your excuses to shower you with goodness and blessing. Notice the, the father says to the son, go get his ring. 
That was a picture of who he was, what family he belonged to. Go get his robe, shower him with blessing. Get him the finest clothes, and we're going to make the finest food. And think about this for a second. What is our attitude towards the Father? The Father here, of course, represents God. And the sons, the sons are his sons and daughters. Do we want him? Or do we just want what he offers us? What a picture of the gospel. And it continues in the story, believe it or not, we see this with the older son too. We're only about halfway through, so to speak. For in verse 25, although the story takes a turn, it's still addressing the same attitude. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. What kind of family was this? <laughs> Not a Lutheran family. Anyway, <laughs> verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. In other words, what's going on here? He's got his foot down. What, what is going on in that house? He's that kind of guy. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And, and, and just by that response, you would think that the, the servant is thinking he's going to be excited, right? But look at his response in verse 28. To the servant. From a distance, from the party. But he was angry and he refused to go in, it said. And, and the father catches wind of this, so he comes out. Verse 29, but he answered his father. Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't even call him brother, this son of yours, this son of yours, Came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him? Are you going to glorify his sin? Is that what you're doing here? Verse 31, and he said to him, and this is so telling how, how the father responds to the son here. He says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is what? He's found. All three of these parables in this series of parables Jesus is teaching is about something that was lost, that was found. But would we consider what Jesus is saying to us as he's now speaking about the older brother? We rightfully can call it the parable of the prodigal son because that which was lost was found. But Jesus is addressing, keep in mind, the attitude of the religious leaders towards the poor and the needy and the marginalized and the sick. See, Jesus is showing us something here in both the older son's response and the father's reaction, that there is only one son who returns and attends the party, so to speak. Only one goes in. I noticed three things in the older son's attitude in response to the family that I want to point out. The first is this, 
And, and I think we can all relate to it. In fact, I know we can all relate to it because it's a culture in which we live. The first is this. I didn't get from you what I deserve. You see that? He feels the right to be offended. We live in a culture of, of I have something to be angry about and I have a right to be angry about it. Right? That, that's our culture right there. Right? Notice he says, you never even gave me as much as a goat. <laughs> what is he saying? Isn't that interesting? He's saying, I've never even had a quarter of a party like this. And yet, he has all of the Father's things. You never, I mean, you haven't even fed me, he's saying. <laughs> and he blew your fortunes. And you throw a party for him. Th think about what he's really saying here. Not only do I deserve better, I could have had so much more if this never would have happened in the first place. If he wouldn't gone off and squandered all the things that you gave him. Just like the younger son, he wanted what the father could give him. Notice the father's response. Son, you are always with me. The father wants relationship. Think about what that means as it represents God in our relationship to him. And then he says, and all that is mine is yours. Now take that in. All that is mine is yours. God is saying that to us. He's saying, I've never kept anything from you, the son. I'm not holding back from you, son. Your frustrations are misplaced. I've given you everything that I have. Come into the party. Join us. Don't let this, don't, don't let this get in the way of our relationship. Forgive him and join the celebration. But would he, in the story, would he go into the party? What does he end up doing? He doesn't go in. The irony of this kind of attitude is that we all deserve judgment for our self-centered, self-righteous attitudes. Yet what we have been given is the riches of God's grace through Jesus Christ. It's really a story about the gospel. Do we realize We've been given everything we need. We are the sons and daughters here in the story. We are a part of the family, so to speak, if we claim Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. But sons and daughters are not sons and daughters to get stuff and compete against one another for the Father's stuff. We're sons and daughters because of what Christ has done for us on the cross when he took our sins and sacrificed for us. Man, we've been given everything. And yet we are so prone to look at our brothers and sisters and see their past or the things that they're doing. Lord, help us as we consider what this means for us as the body of Christ. Secondly, Look what he says in verse 29. Verse 29, Luke 15. Look, he says, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Like, I haven't run away from home. I didn't sleep around. I'm not like him. 
I, I never stop working. I still follow the rules. I live a clean life. I'm not like those criminals. I don't have a record. I don't do those big sins. That's what he's saying. I don't do those really big ones. Okay, yeah, every once in a while I'll do a few things. But I'm not, not those really big sins. I'm not like that. I'm not like my brother. That's what he's saying. And yet, we have to ask ourselves as we consider this story, are we capable of relegating the gospel and our faith in Jesus Christ to being about what we don't do? The things that we haven't committed? The big sins? Rather than making it about the relationship with the Father? Oh, the gospel tells us we're defined by Jesus who saved us from our past, present, and future. Praise the Lord not defined by what rules we keep or what sins we've committed. When we stand before the Lord one day and we are accountable, by the way, for all of our actions, past, present, and future, the only way we will be able to stand before a holy God is by Jesus Christ, right? It's a picture of the gospel. That's what this story is about. Church, we better be on guard against self Righteous attitudes. How easy it is to fall into the trap of seeing our brother and sisters in sin and neglecting our own sin. Did you catch what the son says at the end of verse 29? Look at it, that again. Verse 29. Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Really? Never? Could that be our attitude sometimes? Often, <laughs> maybe not you, but uh, <laughs> me. <laughs> really, he didn't do anything? See, Jesus is talking directly to the rule followers. They keep a good front and on the outside look a certain way, but inwardly are not close to the Father. It's the attitude of the religious and self-righteous one that eventually may get to a place where you cannot even go into the party and celebrate salvation. That's the scary thing. That it can take us to a place that is self-righteousness where we can't even celebrate someone returning to the Father because all we can see is the past in our brothers and sisters. There's nothing like getting the joy sucked out of you, so to speak, with self-righteousness. What is our attitude, church, towards those who are lost? What is our attitude towards those who have wandered or squandered or strayed? What is our attitude towards our own sin? Verse 32, I love what the Father says. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I was with some pastors this week. We were in a prayer meeting. And one of them, who has been going through some really difficult things, not only in his own life, but also at the church he's serving, he said this when we were talking about what's kind of kept him going, even though you know, he's been really lacking you know, you know, just, just hope that, that what's going on in our world today isn't, going to ultimately defeat us, so to, so to speak, and we're trying to encourage one another. And, and he just said this. What's, what's keeping you going? He said, you know, guys, 
I have all the hope in the world. Why? Because I never want to lose the wonder of my own salvation. That, that God would forgive me. That he cares, just like we talked about weeks ago, for even one. That should be the attitude of his sons and daughters. That must be our attitude in, in a world that's seeking to destroy the truth and disengage from what God has given us to protect us. We celebrate salvation no matter the past. For salvation belongs to God. He determines our souls. It's the spirit that has favor upon whom he has favor. We celebrate salvation. There's going to be an amen here real soon. We celebrate salvation for we do not deserve it, but by grace we can receive it freely because we have a patient father waiting for us, eager to receive us, even us, into his family. Amen? That should be our attitude towards each other and to the compassion and favor and love the Father has had upon us. Would you stand with me? As an act of response to the word of God, before we sing the closing song, may this not just be another message for us, but may we respond in a way that God is leading us to as the church. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? Your grace is enough. It's our declaration today. You've given us everything we need. Say it right here. These are your words. Man, change our motives. May we not want what you offer, but you, but you. Lord Jesus, humble us. And cause us to be the ones who return daily, every day returning to you, Jesus, who offers forgiveness and rest, who offers peace and assurance. Oh, we're thankful, God. Lord, if there is even one here who has not returned, still living off in that far country, not, not able to deal with the guilt and the shame. Lord, take down that wall of pride. It's pride. And if there is one here so filled with self-righteousness that they only see as we so often do the sins of our brothers and sisters and not our own, Lord, take down that wall of pride. And in its place, put humility. Jesus, you've made a way at the cross. And I proclaim today that that is the victory this church we will live in so that all will know this same grace that you have given us in Jesus' name.
Amen.